Everyone from everywhere, here to live, here to share. Come together, come to be Canada. It's you and me. Feel the spirit. Get a little closer. We are strong together. Make a dream a reality. Canada, it's you and me. Now's the time. It's our day to show ourselves believing. Celebrate from sea to sea. Canada, it's you and me. You're preaching to the converted, my friend. It's the French Canadians who don't see it that way. Try again. The other side of the disc, a walk in the light of friendship between you and me that can be, if you wish, a country for both of us. From the two sides of a Canada Week gimmick record, two languages, two cultures appeal to each other and present a common cause, the unity of Canada. But in real life, those two languages and two cultures don't really coexist. They confront each other and, fearing the consequences of confrontation, retreat into their two solitudes. Well, I remember in the 50s, uh, Montreal was an English-speaking city. Uh, uh, everything was, all the signs were in English. Uh, it was difficult to find a cinema uh, with a French uh, picture in it, even though 60% even, uh, even uh, of the population, uh, maybe 65% of the population, was English-speaking. It was French-speaking, I mean. So in 25 years, in 30 years, uh, it was... A, a real revolution as far as language is concerned. Today, uh, the west uh, part of Montreal is still mainly uh, English-speaking, but with many, many French signs in it. Uh, it is uh, the French culture uh, as bloom here in Montreal, you French theater, French cinema, everything, uh, even French uh, songs, uh, to the point where Montreal now is a, is a metropolis. Uh, it's, it's a... a Let's say it's an international city with two main cultures. English in the West and French in the East. That's Montreal. In fact, the French, including Michel Roy, editor of Le Devoir, the influential daily from whom you've just heard, take pride in describing Montreal as the second biggest French-speaking city in the world. Canada's number two metropolis has changed its tune. Toronto's twin and playful competitor is fast becoming the big gun of a hostile nation. The main reason is that uh, it's a sudden... Uh, re, uh, conscience from the French group that after all uh, this was part of their country uh, why not uh, why not have their culture uh, uh, why not respect their culture more why not express themselves with their language and their culture and this is what happened in the last 30 years to the point where, uh, as you know, today in Quebec there is a very strong movement who wishes to, to separate Quebec from the rest of Canada. It became particularly noticeable from about 1960 that the atmosphere in Quebec, which Montreal is the business capital, was changing. That the French speakers are francophones, 80% of the population, 65% of whom speak only French and are therefore totally alienated from English or Anglophone culture, that the Francophones were no longer going to be second-class citizens in their own country. 
They call it the Quiet Revolution, but its quietness was shattered in November 1976 when Quebec elected the Parti Québécois to take over government from the Liberals. My opinion is that English Canadians uh, are evaluating very rapidly since we have been elected. It has been a shock for them. They have been told during many, many years that there were absolutely no chance for us to come into power and that uh, the movement was not serious. And uh, they were rather sleepy around even the Canadian problematic and the Canadian problems. Bernard Londry, Quebec's Minister for Economic Development, one of the big five in René Lévesque's cabinet. The PQ's election victory was a shock to more than the English Canadians. A fair few francophones were taken by surprise too. Though they shouldn't have been, because the only real surprise was that the victory was ten years ahead of its time. Quebec has elected nationalist governments in 1836, 1886 and 1936. So history had 1986 marked out for the next separatist thrust. Who knows, that may now be the year of their ultimate victory. Which would mean what? Canada is called, erroneously, a confederation. Uh, a true confederation is a union of sovereign states. Uh, this is what we want, a union of sovereign states. We want Quebec to be sovereign. The rest of Canada would also be sovereign. We want to be closely associated with the rest of Canada in a confederal arrangement, which would mean, of course, that the rest of Canada would have many, many years of discussions as to the actual shape of their uh, sovereign state because uh, it's a fair guess that that sovereign state would continue to be federal. And uh, the division of powers, whatever happens in terms of Quebec, will continue to be a very significant issue for the rest of Canada. Pierre de Bellefeuille, Parliamentary Secretary to the Quebec Minister for Intergovernmental Affairs, giving us a good cue to stop and sketch out some of the basics of the problems of Canadian unity and Quebec separatism. And to point to similarities here in Ireland, giving us cause to contemplate the Canadian dilemma and to question what side we, as individuals, would take. Canada has ten provinces and two territories. Most of its 23 million population live in a strip just 200 miles wide, just north of the US border. Its business capital, Toronto, is but an hour and a half by car from America. 60% of its industry is American-owned. So it must be constantly wary of allowing itself to be seduced and perhaps even wed to its more powerful neighbour. But perhaps it's too late. Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau says, we've been seduced, let's lie back and enjoy it. He also hopes to continue the affair on Canada's terms. But there must be a compromise, and there's the rub. Quebec's five million French Canadians don't buy the US culture trip, even its watered-down Canadian version. And they're now represented by a government which says, we want out, we want independence and our own form of sovereignty association. Economic Development Minister Bernard Londry. For us, separatism have been associated during the years with autarky, uh, um, isolationism, and um, uh, a kind of uh, non-cooperative spirit with our neighbours. So our party has never been separatist, and our platform is just the contrary. Since the founding of the party, we call that Sovereignty Association, Sovereignty Association, which is political independence, to be simple, for 
the Quebec nation with a close association for economic reason with the rest of Canada, our partners since more than a century. And it is our first choice to associate very closely with the other provinces. Uh, our policy is not against anyone, it's in favor of, of our own interests. And we want to have a kind of a common market type association, um, more and more studied and mastered in Europe. Many members of the Parti Québécois are less reticent about using the word separatism than Bernard Landry, and many Anglophones would say that the PQ's policy has only recently spoken of sovereignty association and now only because they see that not all Quebecers would vote to leave Canada. Think of our own history. Comparisons are never exact and often dangerous, but an example from home may help us understand the complexity of the Canadian question. Sinn Féin wanted independence. Some of its members believed it could be won through the treaty, Others believed it could not. Some believed to push for more than the treaty offered would threaten the party's support. Others believed it would not. Thus, the PQ's dilemma, should they talk of separation or should they call it sovereignty association? Should they stress their desire for political independence or for economic cooperation? The party seems headed on the pro-treaty road. And there's another Irish analogy we can draw. Does Quebec have the right to secede from the Federation? Did the North have the right to set itself apart from the free state? Can a minority within a country vote itself independent, or should there be a plebiscite of the whole country? Many in this country who would, in pub talk, support Le Québec Libre would be just as loud in their claim that the Northern majority must subject themselves to the wishes of the Irish majority. But then, we were once part of the United Kingdom and we voted ourselves out of it, and who would now deny us the right to do that? As I said... Comparisons are never exact and often dangerous, but interesting, I think, to consider. Pierre Trudeau doesn't need to consider historical parallels and precedents to know that he must do something to buy off this renewed Quebec nationalism. He's a Quebecer himself, but a convinced Federalist. Already he has appointed a French-Canadian as Governor-General, that's the Queen's representative in Canada, and has chosen 12 French-Canadians among his 33 ministers. He knows that's not enough, and has now come up with his next bid, in his struggle to save the Confederation. Lately, Monsieur Trudeau, our Prime Minister in Ottawa, uh, has uh, proposed a new set of rules in the Constitution. Uh, we're on only beginning to discuss this thing, but it could be, I'm saying, it could be the, the start of a new era. It could be. Uh, wh what I'm saying, and what I believe firmly, is that <coughs> changes are needed in the Constitution in order to recognize uh, more firmly what we call here the French uh, fact of Canada. And what is significant about the proposals that Mr. Trudeau has put up already, because I think that they do deal with federal matters rather than with anything which yes. the provincial governments <coughs> could But even though uh, Mr. Trudeau hasn't say, said much on, the, on his reforms, what he is proposing is a new conception of the federal institutions. What I mean by this, to be more concrete, is that <coughs> the Supreme Court would be, uh, would have at least four French-speaking judge uh, or civil law judge out of 11. Uh, as far as the Senate is concerned, the Senate would be transformed, would be changed completely, and would become uh, what we call a federation uh, chamber 
of Canada with both cultures represented in it. Uh, the, the federal institution would become more bicultural, more bilingual, and this is a first phase of this new area. Uh, you know, if uh, uh, I don't know how far it will go, uh, because as I said, we're only starting. Mm. But at least it's a start. And does that seem to be the, the <coughs> sort of, of <coughs> option that would please Quebecers? <coughs> well, Quebecers want more than that, much more than that. Quebecers would like to have a new sharing of the legislative powers in this country between the Ottawa government and the pro provinces. Uh, and Quebec, among the provinces, uh, feel that uh, it has a special case to defend uh, because of, here again, of its culture and of, it, uh, of its language. So a lot of people here are talking about a special status for Quebec. Not more powers, but different, a different arrangement for Quebec uh, among the, uh, the provinces. Michel Roy of Le Devoir newspaper in Montreal. As, as he says, the constitutional changes suggested will have to go much farther to satisfy even the milder of today's French Quebecers. There are one million French speakers outside Quebec, but that province is fighting for its own destiny, the recognition of its French fact. It all begins with the language, the heart of the culture. In the milieu of bilingualism, which is the best Quebec can ever hope for from the federal government, there is no coexistence. There is only a continuous aggression of the language of the majority. So said a Quebec poet who watched English take over more and more wherever French speakers were exposed to it. At first they accepted this cultural imperialism. Then they fought it. Think back to your school days. Do you remember learning the song Alouette, gentille Alouette? A song about a lark which meekly allowed the singer to pull the feathers from his back, his head, his whole body until he was stripped of feathers. Meek little bird. Félix Leclerc is one of Quebec's leading folk singers and one of the most popular of his self-written songs is called La Louette en Colère. The lark is no longer docile. No more will he allow his spirit to be plucked from him. J'ai un fils révolté, un fils humilié Un fils qui demain sera un assassin Alors moi j'ai eu peur et j'ai crié à l'aide au secours quelqu'un Le gros voisin d'en face est accouru, armé, grossier, étranger, pour abattre mon fils une bonne fois pour toutes, et lui casser les reins et le dos et la tête et la bec et les ailes alouettes. Oh mon fils est en prison. Et moi je sens en moi, dans le tréfonds de moi, pour la première fois, malgré moi, malgré moi, entre la chair et l'os. S'installer la colère. A son out of work, a language not recognized, a son revolting, and now I'm angry. They talk about that song in Quebec, for it expresses how many of them feel. For too long, the French have occupied the lower echelons of the province's society. Of the 105 biggest companies, for example, only 14 have a majority of French directors. Among the other 91, francophones have 9% of the directorships. English is the language of the bosses, but that is changing too, along with other things in Quebec. The queue for the change came with the PQ's election in November 1976. They fought that election on the promise of good government to follow the wishy-washy Liberal cabinet. And they won because many of their supporters knew that the PQ would also raise proudly the flag of Quebec separatism, the fleur-de-lis on a blue background with a white cross. Only two months later, Premier 
René Levesque sounded confident when he addressed New York financiers. We believe, and in fact we know, that we are a nation with all the essential requirements, a clearly defined territory, our own history, a common language and culture, a collective will to live together and to maintain a national identity. And I can find nothing more striking, by the way, than the many analogies between the psychological climate felt in Quebec today and all available descriptions of the American atmosphere of 200 years ago. An argument which holds no water for Federal Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, who consistently has seen Canada in different terms. The interdependence and diversity of the world's countries have their counterparts to a degree in the interdependence and diversity of Canada's regions. Our nation continues to be characterized by regional disparities that offends our sense of justice and frustrates our ingenuity. We have as well our own version of the North-South dialogue, the economic development of our vast Northland in terms that are fair to Northern residents and recognize the special position of our native peoples, demand perseverance, understanding, and political commitment of the highest order. Within Canada, as within the world community, we have some regions which are predominantly energy producers and others that are predominantly energy consumers. We have as well a linguistic duality and a cultural diversity that are at once a tremendous strength, a statement of our individuality, and a source of creative tension, driving us to search for new ways in which our national character can find expression. Some see Levesque and Trudeau as men of destiny fated to play out the final scenes of Quebec's fight for freedom for the first time since the defeat of the French by the English on the Plains of Abraham in 1759 and the fall of Montreal a year later. But it's a wary, if fateful, game they play. When Levesque was elected to power, he promised a referendum on the province's future. That referendum is to take place next year. But Levesque is determined that it will not come until after a federal election when all Canada's voters will have a chance to give their views on Trudeau's performance. And no doubt, if the Prime Minister were defeated, Levesque would have greater ease in persuading his constituents to leave a country run by Joe Clark, a Western Conservative. Parliamentary Secretary Pierre de Bellefeuille. We'll wait as long as necessary. We're pushing. Mind you, we're avoiding undue haste. But we're pushing, we're pushing in the sense that uh, we constantly make it clear that our ultimate goal is a sovereign Quebec. We're not only reminding Monsieur Trudeau and the other provinces of that, we're reminding the people of Quebec that that is our basic stand. And when the referendum comes, uh, if, if we get a sufficient number of yeas, well, then we can go ahead. If there are a majority of nays, then we'll, we'll have to reassess the whole thing and uh, go to the people at an election. Let's say the next time around is a referendum. The next time after that is an election. We'll still be in favor of a sovereign Quebec. If the people of Quebec then re-elect us, it'll be their decision. And then, uh, in those circumstances, in the future, there would be a second referendum. After 300 years, who needs overnight success? But of course, if the PQ loses the referendum, 
There's every chance that they will be thrown out at the next provincial election. And waiting in the wings to take over is the Liberal Party they dispatched last time. But this time it's a Liberal Party under new leadership. Claude Ryan preceded Michel Roy as editor of Le Devoir. Now he leads the Liberals and, like all new leaders, attracts a new enthusiasm, a new feeling of hope. With the Parti Québécois, all the powers of taxation and all legislative powers would be uh, brought back to Quebec. And only those uh, matters upon which the Quebec government agreed would be shared with the rest of Canada in some uh, rather uh, shaky form, like the arrangements of the European common market, for instance, whilst under our solution, we keep the federal system of government in Canada, you keep a federal parliament elected by the sovereign people, responsible to the sovereign people for the performance of certain particular jobs, you know. It's not only a matter to be tackled uh, between governments, between political elites, but the sovereign people has a right of supervision and a right of disposition at the two levels, both the federal and the provincial level. That's really the question of the difference between federation and confederation. But whatever the semantics, the Canadian system would, Claude Ryan agrees, have to make special allowance for Quebec's French fact. Yes, in certain organs of the federation, you would have to make room for some kind of weighted representation in favor of the francophone community. For instance, in the civil service in Ottawa, in uh, the federal crown corporations, you have in certain matters to go as far as to give complete numerical equality to the two communities. But this does not preclude the basic principle that we have a federal system. Let's take the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It obviously must cater to the needs of two different collectivities. So we have two parallel networks, one for the French-speaking community, which stretches all across Canada, another for the English-speaking communities. So you have here uh, a parallel system rather than purely numerical representation. Yes, let's think of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's parallel systems. Ask someone from CBC if there's jealousy between them and the French-language Radio-Canada, and they'll say, no, there's no rivalry, more total ignorance. They live separate lives, and when you go home to your French family in Quebec, you watch French television programmes, subjects and people, just different from what's on English-language TV. Raymond David, general manager of the French network, points out that they've now produced soap operas, dramas and sitcoms with which the people can identify. He says, television allowed people like Gilles Vigneault, Monique Lérac, Robert Charlebois, Jean-Pierre Ferland to affirm themselves and follow their careers. Names we don't know, a different culture, a different sound. Gilles Vigneault planting an oak, and the oak has taken root, something few would have bet on on the day in 1967 when General Charles de Gaulle made his emotional diplomatic blunder on the balcony of the Montreal City Hall. The heart spoke and the hearts of many French Canadians responded. But what about the economics? What's the price of the breakup of the Federation? Naturally, the contestants disagree. 
But let's hear some of the arguments. First, Quebec Federalist, Liberal leader, Claude Ryan. Now, the problem is not uh, whether Quebec would be a viable economic entity, but whether it could maintain the standard of living which uh, it has developed over the years. I think if it were merely a matter of surviving, Quebec could probably survive whilst being separated. But if she wants to keep her present standard of living and even uh, ameliorate it, I think uh, it's far better to remain within the Canadian federal system. The Canadian economy is a very complex uh, whole from which you cannot uh, dissociate one part without causing grave consequences both for the part which separates and for the remaining parts. Uh, Canada without Quebec would have great difficulty surviving both politically. Economically, I think she would also go apart in all directions. The Western provinces can very well do it by themselves. They have considerable natural resources. They could uh, cooperate with the United States. They have access to the Pacific Ocean. It's no problem for them. As for Ontario, I think it would uh, progressively integrate within uh, uh, the United States because Ontario by herself has no access to the sea. So its most natural uh, source of uh, interest would be the United States, I think. Mm. The same would probably apply to the maritime provinces. Well, so when Quebec had become isolated this way, I don't think its economy could easily develop because uh, Quebec's uh, natural resources, for instance, are not uh, as richly diversified as they ought to be. We are well equipped in uh, iron, uh, copper, zinc, gold, uh, forests. Uh, hydroelectric uh, resources, but we have no petroleum, we have no coal, we have no gas, we have no nickel. We're short, we have no, we're short of very important resources. Within the Canadian system, all this panoply, this vast panoply of natural resources makes us uh, members of one of the richest countries in the world. If we're separated, we're very, very limited. A point stressed to me in Ottawa by Senator Maurice Lamontagne, former federal minister, and now co-chairman of the Joint Commons and Senate Committee on the Constitution. Separation would uh, uh, go against the, the prevailing trends. Uh, I think that uh, uh, all over the world now we are trying, uh, in the economic field at least, uh, to try to, uh, to develop uh, greater units, either through... Uh, uh, agreements uh, in the field of trade, uh, the establishment of common markets and uh, free trade areas and all this. We are trying to find a larger base so as to be able to compete uh, with the giants of, uh, of, the, of this modern world. So uh, if uh, we restrict our economic base, I think uh, that uh, we, become, we will inevitably uh, become uh, less affluent and uh, if we are less affluent uh, as French Canadians, I think that our culture uh, will suffer from it. And eventually, uh, I suppose uh, our people uh, being uh, used to that the high standard of living might, if they are forced to make the choice, they might uh, choose uh, the standard of living instead of the language. So um, you end up, when you uh, begin uh, to try to protect the standard of living of your population and uh, when you begin also to make concessions uh, in order to preserve that standard of living, 
you find that you sacrifice more and more of your uh, independence concept because uh, uh, you will have we will have to uh, an independent Quebec would have to follow the same monetary policy as the rest as the what would be left of Canada, uh, of Canada would have to follow more or less the same taxation policy and when uh, uh, you cannot uh, be sovereign in the economic field uh, then uh, there's very little left in terms of independence uh, for the rest of the social and cultural life. Senator Lamontagne is a French-Canadian, an English Quebecer who takes an equally gloomy view of the economics of independence is Alec Patterson, vice-chairman of the Anti-Referendum Committee, the umbrella group consisting of all those opposed to whatever Lévesque may put in his referendum. If Quebec was to separate, and if the thesis is we'll separate so we get control of the big job, what they must realize, the ones at the uh, higher echelon of the party, is that there will be no important jobs of the kind they're trying to get to power. We've seen already the Sun Life League. We've seen the banks start to move their financial operations, retaining their, their, uh, their divisional offices and retaining a shell of a head office, but essentially moving the money to Toronto. We've seen the insurance companies. We heard Standard Life is moving right out of Canada this morning. Um, so, sure, they'll be in control of industry, but industry will be a branch operation of something that's going on in Ontario. So that, that's a, another reason why the separation is not going to achieve what all French Canadians want to achieve. It's not just the Parti Québécois. I mean, all French Canadians want to have Quebec as, uh, you know, they say as French as Ontario as English. Of course, it's Alec Patterson's job to paint as bleak a picture as possible. In fact, Sun Life will be in Quebec for at least another two years. Anyway, you get a better grasp of the economic temperature if you talk to a banker, a banker like Pierre MacDonald, vice president for Quebec of the Bank of Montreal. If it was sovereignty association, there would be some amount of understanding before the given date. Uh, how much? I don't know. Would there be some hard feelings? No doubt about it. There would be a lot of hard feelings, especially in English Canada. And I think it would be a question of at least a generation before things were normalized. However, economics or uh, the necessities of, uh, of everyday life <coughs> bring about a lot of uh, common sense in people. Canada would be the immediate neighbor of, uh, of uh, Quebec, uh, having in competition to the south the United States. Uh, Canadian manufacturers, Canadian uh, suppliers of services would want still to do business in Quebec, which was and would still be quite a market for them. So I think those hard feelings uh, would uh, eventually diminish. It doesn't mean that it would be uh, springtime again uh, all over, uh, as it perhaps was uh, before, but I don't see it as uh, being uh, very, very difficult for very, very long. As far as the Quebecers are concerned, this type of hard feeling and uh, this uh, separation would no doubt in my mind entail a cut in uh, standards of living. Uh, to what extent, I really don't know. And uh, I guess I could give you some figures which would be as wrong as, wrong as the next guy. Uh, but a cut of, uh, in the standard of living, which I do not believe uh, Quebecers are willing to take, if uh, sovereignty association comes, 
it would be a slight cut. If independence radically came, I think it would be a very large cut. And this is the reason why I don't really believe that independence radically imposed upon the Quebecers would come unless something unforeseen comes about. Though. So we're probably talking certainly about some form of sovereignty association or at the very least a renegotiation of the whole confederation. Um, why would there have to be an immediate, if you have an agreement as to how the, the two parts of the, of the continent are going to uh, interrelate, why would there have to be a cut in standard of living here? Because the agreement will not cover it all. There will be a boycott of Quebec products in the rest of Canada, even if there is an agreement to some extent. And this cannot translate into anything else but a uh, drop of uh, living standards uh, and revenues. Uh, for example, Quebec uh, is uh, very much involved in the textile industry and selling partly to the rest of Canada. I do believe that the rest of Canada in such a situation, at least on some items like this, uh, would rather buy cheap imports than costly uh, Quebec exports. Uh, this is all also through of the shoe manufacturing sector. Uh, it's not necessarily through of the pulp and paper industry because we sell to the U.S. But there are areas where Quebec manufacturers would definitely suffer from a boycott of some sort, even if there is an agreement on the political side. The banker has enough confidence in the province it's the people he has his doubts about. And come to think of it, aren't all bankers like that? Well, down in Ottawa, in Prime Minister Trudeau's Privy Council office, George Anderson also stresses the price that must be paid for independence. Independence is always something you can have. It's a case of how much you're prepared to pay for it. Uh, but if you take a look at the situation in Quebec, you can see that independence would be almost certainly very costly to Quebec. Uh, Quebec is very vulnerable to problems of uh, its, the structure of its economy, to its de Quebec is manufacturing is very heavily on certain sectors which depend on the Canadian tariff and are in, 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 in decline, things like textiles, footwear and what have you. It's also uh, very dependent on other parts of the world, for its, uh, particularly the rest of Canada, for its energy consumption. Despite its, its r richness in, in hydro, 18%, Quebecers only produce 18% of their own energy requirements. Uh, there would be definite problems with a country the size of Quebec with no, no larger economic association in terms of international trade negotiations and what have you. Canada is a member of the Group of Seven, which means that uh, we're very heavily integrated into the, the decision-making by the economic heavyweights. Uh, we have a very special position in the GATT negotiations at Geneva. This would be lost to both parts of the country if Quebec were to go its own way. Uh, Quebec could go its own way, but it would almost certainly be very, very expensive economically claims, all of which are disputed by the Parti Québécois. So let's hear from them, having listened to all the opponents, the doubters and the cautious. Economic Development Minister Bernard Lombry. We have figure uh, economically uh, by many, many studies that it would be an economic suicide for the rest of Canada not to accept the fair deal we are asking for. And I will give you an example. Quebec is buying one-third of the, the, the production of the automotive industry in Canada. One-third. If they don't want to associate with, with us, it's very easy for us to buy the same car at a lower price in the United States. We, are, we have a common border with four American states, and we are in very close relation with them. So it's easy for us to buy elsewhere. 
but it's not so easy for the Ontarian automotive industry to sell elsewhere because no one wants to have those cars at the price they are in the world competition at the moment. Um, I give you the example of the automotive industry. I can mention hundreds of others because the most interesting uh, part of the Canadian industry is located in Ontario. We are the consumers, the buyers, and we are rather selling outside raw material, um, energy, and so on. All products that are badly needed in the accidental world. So there is no doubt that the rest of Canada, rationally, for economic reason, must accept a deal with us because I cannot accept that they will want to commit economic suicide. It would be ironic to say the least if you were to end up the 52nd state of America before they did. <laughs> yes, but uh, ironically also, uh, I will answer you that if we are to deal with a boss, rather talk directly to the real boss than go through Toronto to be dominated by Americans anyway. What about the, 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 the position of uh, the uh, traditional industries here, uh, the textile industry, the footwear industry? Can those really survive uh, in an unprotected market? Uh, the answer is very classical, and it's no. And it's the same problem for the traditional industry, I think, in, in all the countries of in the industrialized world. Uh, we have decided to protect those industries for a while and for some of them forever because it is not wise even when you consider the low prices from importation it is not wise to sacrifice completely your traditional sectors because at that moment when you no longer have those type of industry you are on the in the hand of uh, foreign producers. And at that time, you, we are a very weak uh, bargaining position. We, are, we agree that 50% of our market can be open to foreign products, but we want to save 50% of it for our local produ producers. It's all so easy, isn't it? Well, all we can ever say with confidence is that economists differ. In the end, the problem of Canadian unity or Quebec separatism is about the heart. Every Quebec-registered car carries a number plate in which it says, Je me souviens, I remember. I remember what, I asked. The Plains of Abraham, I was told. The battle where the English beat the French in 1759. And the English remember too. They want to maintain their traditions, their past, their formalities. Formalities like the changing of the fictitious guard at the Parliament in Ottawa. <laughs> harmless enough too and a great tourist attraction to see the red coats and the bearskins, the kilts and the pipes. But is it really part of modern Canada? Well, modern Canada is whatever you want it to be. In Montreal the sounds are considerably less formal, a little more exciting. They may even be the African sounds one hears occasionally in Paris. 
language of the drummers, perhaps not their native language, but certainly the one they speak every day is French. Increasingly, that's the language of Montreal, but some people just don't hear it. Like the man I met on holiday from Regina, Saskatchewan. Well, I mean, this is an old city. There's nothing like this at home. What if it all is French that goes on around here? I'm English. I can't speak a word of French. All I can say is we, and I'm not having any trouble communicating. Well, are you, have you had any problems about coming to England? Does it feel like a foreign country coming here to Quebec? No. Why not? Well, not the hotel I'm staying in, and, and downtown here. We was, I was down here Wednesday night, and down here again tonight, and it's just like being at home, only there's more people. It's like exhibition week. But everything I hear around me here is in French. No, it's not. You're only listening to the French, then. Well, uh, would you like uh, uh, Quebec here to be a totally French-speaking area? No. Why not? I guess because I'm a Western redneck. <laughs> One of the worries of, for Trudeau and the Federalists is that the economic power in Canada is shifting from Montreal and Toronto out west to the prairies and beyond because Manitoba and Saskatchewan have uranium deposits and Alberta has oil. And British Columbia, across the Rockies and sandwiched between the two American states of Washington and Alaska, maybe isn't sure how Canadian it wants to be. One hears whispers of a non-Quebec-inspired breakup of the Confederation. Uh, the disunity movement in Western Canada is largely a business-oriented uh, movement. It is based upon economics. It has, goes deep in the past in terms of its economic roots. Um, and the disunity at the moment is, uh, derives from the fact that the businessman in particular is concerned about the constraints of the East. He's concerned about the freight rate structure which keeps him from developing business enterprise that he would like to do in the West. He is concerned about tariffs which protect Eastern industry and do not give him a competitive chance against his Eastern counterpart. Economics professor Dr. Warren Blackman of the University of Calgary, Alberta, the richest state in the country. And that's why it's important to keep in touch with how they see things out West. Alec Patterson of the Anti-Referendum Committee back in Montreal. We're compelled to address ourselves. Uh, to the problem of the referendum. But the much bigger problem and more important problem is to try and restructure Canada so that the frustrations, not only of Quebec, although it's Quebec where the crisis started, but the, but the frustrations which you'll find as you go across the country in the Maritimes, who have felt very much the have-not part of Canada, the West, who feel cut off from uh, Ottawa, the prairies, who feel uh, that they've been taken by the Eastern bankers, and so on. Um, this is the problem of Canada. If there was separation, uh, Alberta, uh, for example, that has the oil, that has the uranium, that has the, uh, some of these very important natural resources, they'd be looking around pretty fast to, to, to make a deal somewhere else. They wouldn't have to negotiate with Quebec. But they would, because no matter how rich a province becomes, it still has to trade. And even wealthy Albertans and their flamboyant Prime Minister, Lahid, can't shout, we've got the oil, we've got the oil, and forget about everything else. Dr. Warren Blackman. It's rather interesting that Premier Lougheed at the moment is taking the stand to hell with you. If you Quebec leaves Confederation, we will cut off all relationships with Quebec. Uh, this, I'm sorry to say, he cannot, uh, he cannot hold, for the simple reason that a good deal of our beef goes east. Uh, if we were to cut off all relations with Quebec, we would have to forget about our beef exports to Montreal and uh, the beef industry would go rapidly down the drain here in Western Canada. And this, of course, uh, Premier Lougheed is not prepared to see happen. So I think that um, he is simply talking a great deal of hot air in these terms. 
There's a lot of hot air talked about economics on both sides. Of course Canada will negotiate if Quebec wants independence. So will the United States. It's in both their interests. And both rest more happily knowing that Quebec doesn't want to leave NATO to upset the Western defences. So economics won't be a barrier, not at the top level anyway, whatever effect they may have on the Quebec voters' fear that independence would bring a reduction in living standards. Earlier I said it's all a matter of the heart. It's also a matter of the language. People sometimes dig their heels in and there's nothing to bring frustration more quickly to boiling point than to have a dispute with your neighbour and not be able to communicate because you speak different languages. For years now, Quebec governments have been trying to increase the amount of French spoken. And now that they're winning, the PQ has introduced a charter of the French language and a piece of legislation, Bill 101, which makes their province officially French-speaking. English has only a marginally stronger position in law than Irish has in the EEC. But of course, the Francophones don't see Bill 101 in such negative terms. Gilles Racine is Director of Communications at the French Language Office. We're a majority and we evolved a lot. We came from a long way and we want to live fully in our own culture, with, in our own language, but even to participate fully, as fully as possible, as full citizens of the North American continent. Well, is there anything in the Act which is going to encourage English-speaking uh, Quebecers to learn French and to not have any fears about their future? I think you're having a good question there, because a lot of people feel fear for their future in Quebec, especially these uh, English-speaking people. Uh, but I think it is important to note that the Act is applied or uh, implemented only through business firms, public administration, and so on. Never through individuals. Individuals, even if they're English-speaking, uh, or even if they're coming from abroad and speak another language, uh, their rights as individuals is not in French in any way. They can go to the courts and uh, plead their case in the language they want. Uh, they can uh, go to the public administration in Quebec and uh, speak the language they want and so on. And in any place in the Act, uh, there is any infringement on the individual rights. At the same time, uh, of course, all of the work we are doing and the objective of the Act uh, is to bring the English-speaking minority of Quebec to integrate more fully into the Quebec majority. Uh, their culture will still, <coughs> uh, will still be respected, it is respected, they're, they're, they're keeping all their uh, media, uh, maybe even written or uh, verbal, they are keeping all their cultural activities or uh, institution and so on. So, but at the same time, a lot of English-speaking people in Quebec, especially in Montreal, who do not speak actually French, I think that they're missing a lot are missing 80% of the population, and they're probably missing 80% of the fun also. But of course it's not as simple as that. This summer there's been a continuous row in Quebec because Bill 101 demands that shop signs be in French, even in English-speaking areas. So your corner grocer has had to change his shop sign. Opponents of the bill say it will ultimately bar the grocer from speaking to his customers in English, but this of course is nonsense. However, there are grounds for serious worry about the bill. Liberal leader Claude Ryan. We've had in Quebec for generations parallel systems of education, a Protestant system, a Catholic system. Within uh, both systems, you had uh, classes for French-speaking kids 
English-speaking kids. Uh, under, the pres the, under the new system defined by Bill 101, only those children coming from families whose parents had had their education in Quebec, in English, are going to be admitted into English schools. The position of my party is that uh, every child whose uh, mother tongue is English should be eligible to uh, admission into English schools, regardless of the place where he was born, regardless of whether he was born on the Ontario border near Quebec, or uh, on the Ontario, on the New Brunswick border near Quebec, or in New York or Bombay, if English was uh, or is his mother language, he should be entitled to attend English schools because uh, here you have a right, which is extended to members of the Anglophone community, and it's not the business of the government to say this segment of the Anglophone community will be denied the privilege, which is extended to other sectors of that community. The last Liberal government also passed a language bill which frightened some of the Anglophones, but Ryan says it was based on reason, not on compulsion and penalties. Down in Ottawa, Trudeau's government is less than completely happy with 101. Privy Council Office staffer George Anderson. Generally, Law 101 is, is constitutional. There are sections of the, of, the, of the law which the government considers are unconstitutional in relation to the present constitution, and there, it will be intervening in the courts when private cases are, are, are taken there. Pierre Trudeau would love to make Canada a bilingual country, but can he? You heard our friend from Regina, Saskatchewan, and he has his counterparts in Quebec. Senator Maurice Lamontagne told me how in 1963, when he was a minister, they introduced commissions to try to establish bilingualism on a sound footing, but it hadn't stopped the PQ winning, I reminded him. Uh, events uh, very often uh, change more rapidly than policies, and policies... Uh, uh, come uh, very often also uh, uh, too late to solve problems. So uh, uh, I think that uh, there has been quite a, a lot of progress made since 1963 or 65, uh, but uh, that progress has not really uh, been identified uh, by the newer generations, uh, especially in Montreal. There are signs that some Anglophones away from the cauldron of Quebec itself are coming to terms with Bill 101, or that the Quebec government is softening up on it. Len Woolsey in Toronto is president of the Canadian Council for National Unity. And I think there are indications now that the uh, government of Quebec are becoming more lenient on their language policy than it seemed to us before the regulations came out. If Len Woolsey's sanguine view can't be matched in Montreal, it's probably because of uncertainty. They're uncertain about the future of the English language. They're uncertain about next year's referendum, what the question will be, what the outcome will be. Last year, hot on the heels of the Parti Québécois election victory, almost 31,000 people left Quebec, and who knows how much money was transferred to banks in Toronto or in Plattsburgh, New York, or Burlington, Vermont. This outmigration of people and of money has slowed down, but it can start again, for the Anglophone's roots are shallower than those of the French. The English-speaking community in Quebec in the post-war period has been very much an aggregation of uh, different elements with very little sense of identity or tradition, and it's a population that has experienced a very high degree of turnover. That is, English-speaking Quebecers tended to outmigrate 13 times as much as French-speaking Quebecers. Their places were always taken up by newcomers, but this created a population in which there was a high degree of instability 
that will probably cease. You will have an English-speaking population that will experience more continuity, and it is now, obviously, as a result of the political and social pressure, going through a sense, uh, a period of reflection on its past and its future, and it may make it uh, a very much more of a community than it has been in the past. Gary Caldwell is a sociologist at Bishop's University, Lennoxville, Quebec. He is a student of the Anglophone tradition. Will English-speaking Quebec be mobilized as the vanguard of the Federalist forces in Quebec? I think many people in the English-speaking leadership, even the Federalists, are aware of the dangers of this. That is, that Quebec will be polarized on the referendum and that English-speaking Quebec will, be allow, will allow itself to be polarized as an instrument in this political issue of the unity of Canada. And I think that is the greatest concern, it's my greatest concern. What the consequence, will that polarization take place on, an ethnic, on ethnic lines, on linguistic lines, and what will be the price of that polarization? And I think uh, that is uh, the greatest uh, challenge, the greatest concern we have to uh, cope with is avoiding uh, an ethnic and linguistic polarization during the referendum issue, and I think uh, the part of the English-speaking leadership is aware of the dangers of that. All of which may be wishful thinking on Gary Caldwell's part, for he himself supports the Parti Québécois. Others are less sure, understandably, when they don't even know what the question will be. George Anderson in the Privy Council office in Ottawa talked of how the federal government is pre preparing with legislation to hold their own referendum in Quebec if Levex isn't to their liking. The official stance shows little willingness to compromise. The, the federal government's general view is that the Parti Québécois, ever since its founding, has been committed to the uh, independence of Quebec, and that that is the primary element of their platform. But the Parti Québécois, for whatever reasons, recognizes that Quebec uh, would have great difficulties as a, as, a, as a separate independent country. The idea is not that popular in Quebec, so they've come up with this idea of sovereignty association. Occasionally they also talk about the idea of, of true, true, a true confederation, but in each case these ideas involve the sovereignty of Quebec, creation of an independent Quebec. The, uh, the federal government does not think it's its job to, to talk about these things, but uh, the, associ the associations, the various forms that the association may talk, are things on which the federal government will have uh, some contributions to make, and uh, it's very skeptical about the possibility of ever finding an association uh, between an independent Quebec and the rest of Canada which would be anything like as satisfactory as the present arrangement. I think that official stiffness can be mellowed, but will it come to that? All opinion polls, and I'm told they're usually right in Canada, show support for actual separatism in Quebec steady at just less than 20%, and that's why sovereignty association was invented. Len Woolsey, president of the Canadian Council for National Unity. I think to a large degree it depends on how the question, the referendum, is put to them. If the question is put in a clear, concise manner and not shrouded in sovereignty, association, and other such words, I think the answer will be a definite, we want to stay with Canada. Now, 20 years from today, I'm not too sure that we might not still be having referendum or thinking of referendums <laughs> to decide whether or not they want to stay. But I don't really see, I, I see there a growing together rather than a growing apart. A view not reflected everywhere I went. Alec Patterson has to face the problem from inside Quebec. It's obvious if you're in power and your polls are telling you that a question is a loser, that you, to retain power, won't want to ask the question. 
On the other hand, if you stirred up uh, your militants over a period of 10 years, that what you're going for is independence, and you're now trying to sell them it isn't really independence, it's sovereignty association, and then you then try to switch sovereignty association to give us the power to negotiate, you're going to lose your militants. So that I don't really think that it will ever come to that kind of a question. But I think that the sovereignty association question may be defined as something uh, very nebulous. And then what, what our argument will be, our position is clear, I think, is that don't kid yourself. Uh, if there's any part of sovereignty in that question, it is separation. And in the mood of the moment, Alec Patterson would like to see Levesque go to the polls as soon as possible. But the PQ government is more wily than that. Parliamentary Secretary Pierre de Bellefeuille. Our opponents in Quebec are putting the pressure on us. They're, they keep repeating that it's very urgent to get the referendum uh, uh, out of the way, as they say. Uh, but we don't feel like uh, stepping into that trap. Uh, there, we realize that there is some urgency, but it's uh, an urgency of the historical kind, if you like. It's not a, an urgency like uh, getting a, a man into hospital within five minutes. It's a different thing. Uh, the people of Quebec have a very momentous decision to make, and uh, they shouldn't be pressured. Uh, they, there should be ample time for the referendum drive to... Uh, to unfold uh, without uh, undue interference from anywhere. You see what a cat-and-mouse game it is. Pierre Trudeau agrees that Quebec is a nation with a people, but he sees no need for the setting up of a political state. He once wrote that ethnic-based governments are, and I quote, by nature intolerant, discriminatory, and when all is said and done, totalitarian. A fairly extreme view indeed, but he's going to try to make its logic stick. Already he has suggested constitutional changes, changes which affect federal matters, not the central relationship between the provinces and Ottawa. These will come too. Many people to whom I spoke see great changes coming in Canada as a result of this Quebec nationalist drive. The experienced Senator Lamontagne, for instance, himself a Trudeau man. And I'm sure that eventually uh, we will end up in Canada by having uh, a much more powerful local and regional governments in this big country of ours. But that, of course, won't be enough for René Levesque, who sees himself very much as a man of destiny. Everything considered, we firmly believe that we're going to make it. If for no other reason, then we cannot afford not to. The we, in this case, I suspect, means Monsieur Levesque and his Parti Québécois. There's still a strong feeling even among the PQ that if you ask Quebecers to vote now, they'd say no to separation and to sovereignty association because they'd believe they couldn't afford either. But René Lévesque probably still has some tricks in his bag. So I'll go only this far. His 1976 election victory and next year's referendum, whatever its outcome, will between them ensure that Canada, its constitution and the relationship between the provinces will never be the same again. We just don't know whether any more than a small percentage of individual Canadians would, along with Prime Minister Trudeau, really mourn the breakup, the restructuring of one of the Western world's Big Seven. Mm-hmm.